one that many of us have already memorized. Romans 8.28 And let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to receive from you this evening what it is you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Romans 8.28 For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. R.A. Torrey called this verse a soft pillow for a tired heart. I like that. A soft pillow for a tired heart. What a tremendous, encompassing verse this is. It makes sense of it all for us who are Christians. That God is sovereignly in charge of all things. There's nothing that God doesn't have under His control. God knows everything. He understands the end from the beginning. And it's a great comfort for us to know this. We don't always understand why things are going on the way they are. And we often ask why, and we ask a hundred different people why, and... We take, you know, the best polls we can to the most intelligent, most spiritual people, and we often come up going, we have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. And often, we'll never know until we stand before God face to face, and then we'll, all things will become clear in that day. But we as Christians end up experiencing many of the woes of this world. We're in a sin-fallen world. And we just have hardships here. The flu bugs going around, Christian, non-Christian, you get it. There's a traffic jam, Christians, non-Christians, stuck in it. Your child left their Tonka toy in the middle of the floor and you didn't see it in the middle of the night, whack! Oh, your toe. Oh, it hurts. Why is it when you start hitting your shin, you keep hitting your shin? Have you noticed that? I We have this piece of furniture in our house. I've never hit it, but I hit it one day three different times. Same spot on my shin. Big bruise. And, and you just have all these little irritants in life. Sometimes big irritants. Things go bad in a major way. Last night, my brother-in-law is up in Central California. My brother-in-law just killed over right in front of us. Stopped breathing. Young man in his 30s. Just stopped breathing. Start doing CPR. They rush him to the hospital. His potassium level completely dropped. Put a bunch of potassium in him and he's at home today. He's just fine. Why? God knows. And that's the great joy that we as believers have is that God works everything together for good, not period, but to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Remember this chapter 8 qualifies itself over and over again. Remember in verse 9, but you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, well, he is not his. So again, he qualifies by saying 
these tr- these promises are true. You're walking in the Spirit. God's going to make sure you're no longer living a life after the flesh by the power of the Spirit, sanctification, if indeed God's Spirit lives in you, if you're truly born again. He makes it clear again. Um, if you've received the Spirit of this of Christ, you're going to cry out, Abba, Father. If you really have the Spirit of God, in verse 16, He's going to bear witness with your spirit. You're the child of God. If, in verse 17, you're truly a born-again believer, then you will want to walk as Christ walked, and you'll suffer as Christ suffered, and you'll receive the same glory that He's receiving. And again, last week, when we saw that wonderful verse about how the Spirit makes intercessions for us, it says, at the end of verse 27, for the saints, according to the will of God. The way of the righteous, Psalms 1 tells us, the Lord knows. The way of the righteous, the Lord knows. God knows your way if you are truly a born-again believer here tonight. If you love God, if you're called by God, if you're living according to the purpose of God, you can know that everything's working together for good. Now, those qualifiers are there. Because I've heard it used in secular shows. Oh, well, everything works out. You know, it all worked together. It's all going to happen together. It's all. And I say to the world, uh uh. That's the promise of God for his children. For the world, things often don't work together. Interesting, the word work together in the Greek is the word sunagiro. The word synergiro is where we get our word synergism from. A synergism is where you have different elements and they're completely, they act one way by themselves. You put them together, they act completely different. Often you can take elements that are completely poisonous by themselves if you were to take them, but yet mix them together and they make a delightful substance that's completely healthy for you. For instance, if you were to take sodium, by itself, can be poisonous to the human body. Or take chlorine. We add a little bit in the water. (laughs) But if you were to drink straight chlorine, it wouldn't do you good. It would hurt you. But yet, if you take sodium and chlorine and put them together, you know what you got? Salt. Wonderful. It preserves. It heals. It makes taste. By themselves, uh uh-uh, they don't work. Put them together, and man, we use it every day. In the same way, the world, they go through the hardships of life, and they don't have the other element. God in the picture. They get in a car wreck, and you know what they have? A banged-up car and a banged-up body and hospital bills. But we as believers have God adding His element to that car wreck. And what do we have? An incredibly divine purpose of God. Now, if you're a lover of God here tonight, it's very plain. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, then you abide in my love. How do you know if you're loving God tonight? Are you doing what He says? Oh, perfectly, none of us ever do. But is that your heart's direction? Is that your heart's delight? I think it is. I think that's why you're here tonight. 
because you want to learn how to love him better and walk stronger and, and to be more faithful as a believer. But there's many people who simply go to church. They simply show up and go through the motions. They don't love the Lord. Oh, they do at their mouth. But they don't do it in deed and in truth, as John says in 1 John, to do it. Don't love in word only, but in deed and truth. And they're not loving God. They're not keeping His commandments. had a person yesterday talking to me, saying, well, there's this guy, and he goes to church regularly, but he's living with his girlfriend, and he parties with all his friends, and, and is he a Christian? Should I hang out with him? Well, you know, I, I don't know the heart of man, but I do know that you cannot continue a life of sin. It says in 1 John chapter 3, John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 through 10 makes it clear that if you can continue a life of sin, you've never seen God nor known God. Now, all of us struggle with sin, but I mean, if you're living in sin, if you are living in fornication and you have been for some time, I guarantee you, you're not born again. I don't care if you go to church every Sunday. I don't care if you read your Bible every day. You cannot categorically oppose a lifestyle that Jesus himself would live and have Jesus in your life. When Jesus comes into your life, you begin to follow Him and live for Him. You don't live your own lifestyle. And if you're living your own lifestyle, you're not following Christ. It says uh, in 1 John chapter 2, if you don't walk as He walked, then you're a liar and you're not of the truth. It makes it very plain, very clear, very simple. And so, if you love God, you're doing what He said to do. You're obeying His commandments. And also it says to those who are called of God. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. The Holy Spirit's convicting every person on planet earth of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. God is calling every single man unto salvation. But not every man will come. But if you will come unto Christ, and you'll ask Him to be your Lord and Savior with a true life of surrender, like we talked about last Sunday morning about Rahab, again, how she had that faith with works, that true faith produces works, and that's how you know you have true saving faith, is that your life begins to line up with the Bible and what God's Word says. And then you know you're truly called. The Bible says that we need to add to our our faith diligence, it says in Second Peter 1, to diligence virtue. Virtue is that heart of just determination. Like Daniel who purposed in his heart he would not defile himself with the idols and the meat of Babylon. He had virtue. Or Joseph, this young good-looking man who would love to have had sex. But he said, not outside marriage, no way. And he left his garment behind and he fled from Potiphar's wife. He had virtue. And the Bible says to add virtue to knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. The self-control, perseverance. The perseverance, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. If these things are yours and abound, you'll never be unfruitful or barren in the knowledge or the things of God. But if these things aren't abounding in your life, they're not yours. You're not abounding in them. You're blind and you're unfruitful. And you forgot what you were called to. He says, therefore, make your calling and election sure. 
How do we make our calling and election sure? By making sure we're obeying God. Just doing what He says. Oh, how God had such a wonderful life plan for Saul. He raised him up to be king. And he was going to establish his kingdom forever. He had a wonderful son, Jonathan. Oh, how Jonathan trusted in the Lord. Oh, how Jonathan loved the Lord as much as King David. Remember, he had such faith. He says, oh, if God can win by many or few, let's go up. And he took on the whole Philistine army by himself. And they fled before him and his armor bearer. What a beautiful man of faith. And But Saul was a man who was not God-centered. It's like Jesus said of Peter, you're mindful of the things of man. You're not mindful of the things of God. And because of this, Saul kept making choice after choice after choice, uh, categorically opposed to the will of God. And finally the Lord said, I'm sorry that I ever chose Saul. Go tell him. And he comes to Saul, the prophet says, Samuel says, I would have established your kingdom forever, but now I'm going to take it from you and give it to another. We see there in Acts chapter 27 where Apostle Paul is on a boat and they wouldn't listen to him. He said, don't set out to sea. I know the Lord's speaking to me that there's going to be harm and disaster and oh, you're just a prisoner and a tent maker. We're not going to listen to you. And there the boat was falling apart. They were now adrift, by the, pushed by the wind. And the Lord speaks to Saul by an angel. And he says, hey, Paul, you're, the life of all those on board with you are going to be saved as well as your life is going to be spared. And he told the guys, take courage, man. Everybody's life is going to be spared. And, you know, eat some nourishment. And, and a little while later, two of the guys started to get into the lifeboat and take off. And Paul comes out and he goes, I cannot guarantee their life if they get out of that boat. If they, if they got to stay on and the captain cut the lifeboat loose so it would go away because he didn't want them being tempted to take it in their own hands. But God had just said, I, I'm, I assure all the life of you on that boat. But then Paul changed it saying, but you got to stay on the boat. And I say to you believers, you've got to stay on that narrow road that leads to life. And if you start wandering from that road, I cannot say that you're loving God, although you may be called of God, and of course that's in question now that you're not making your calling and election sure. And then he goes on to say, and who is called according to His, not yours, but His purpose. And again, God has a plan for your life. Are you experiencing that plan? He says you are the work of art, the poema of God that He's working out for His good pleasure. He's predestined good plans that you would walk in them. Who saved you? Who called you? not according to your works, but according to His own purpose and grace given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It says in 2 Timothy 1.9. Now, what's so wonderful about this verse is here tonight, everything checks out. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, check yourself to see if you be in Christ. 
Do I love God? Yeah, I do love Him. I'm trying to follow Him. I am called. I can tell you that I definitely remember Jesus Christ calling me, showing me of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I said, God, I'm a sinner and I know my wayward ways are leading me to eternal damnation. Deliver me by the cross of Christ. Save me. And you called out to God for salvation. And then you've directed your life now to the purposes of God. You know that they'll never be fulfilled outside the Word. So Jesus stopped the multitude and said, unless you're willing to continue in my Word, you will not be my disciple. But if you continue in my Word, then you're my disciple indeed. You know the truth and the truth will set you free. He stopped the multitude saying, stop, hold it. Unless you're willing to deny yourself, take up a cross and follow after me, you, you cannot start. And so you've counted the cost. You've gone through it. You've worked with it. You've said, man, I, I understand. I've got to deny myself. I've got to take up a cross. I've got to deny myself of this world. I've got to press on to serve the Lord. And, and He's called me unto holiness and to cleanness and to purity. And, and that's where I'm directing my life. To seek the Lord with those who call upon Him out of a pure heart. That's your, your heart's direction. But tonight, you're struggling. There's been some temptations thrown at you. There's been some real failures in your words, in your actions, in your thought life. But yet you can say, I know I'm loving God. I know I'm called according to His purpose. I know that I'm trying to live for Him. But, man, I just can't. It seems like everything has fallen apart. Well, that's where we can sit back and go, okay. Use this. As a weary pilgrim, use it as a pillow tonight. God is going to work it out for good. God is going to turn everything around for good. The difficulties, the struggles, the hardship, God has a divine plan and purpose for it, and you can rejoice tonight. Now, remember that guy, Joseph. The guy who had the coat of many colors his dad had given him. And remember his dad said, go see how your brothers are faring. They've been gone for a while. And he comes to these ten wicked brothers of his. His younger brother Benjamin was back home. And he says, they see him at a distance going, oh, here comes that dreamer. Because God had given Joseph a dream that one day he would be in charge over his brothers, even over his mom and dad. And they saw him coming and they said, let's kill that guy. Yeah, let's kill him, you know, and and so they riled each other up. And as soon as they got there, they just jumped on him and they tore his garment up and they threw him down in a pit. They were going to kill him immediately and they saw a pit and they threw him down there and they were trying to get up the nerve to kill him. And they had killed the lamb and they had put the blood of the lamb on the coat because they were going to tell the dad that a lion had got him. But as it turned out, from a caravan came that was heading down to Egypt and they said, hey, let's make money on him. So they sold him for 20 seconds of silver. He ends up down in Egypt. Now you say, what was Joseph thinking while he was in that pit? His brothers tell us later he was crying out, saying, brothers, don't do this evil. I beg you, brothers, please don't do this evil. And their conscience, they heard every night when they went to sleep, they heard their brother going, brothers, don't do this evil. <laughs> they didn't live very good after those years. And immediately when they hit a hard place, they said, oh, 
It's because of what we did to our brother. They kept living that way. Oh, it's because of what we did to our brother. They knew that they had sinned. But now Joseph, what was he thinking? He had in his mind, God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Down in Egypt, he became a slave. But yet, his heart wasn't embittered. He wasn't hating God. How could a God of love allow me to be put as a slave? You know, How could a God of love make it so I never see my father again? He didn't have that in his heart. He knew God was working something out. He couldn't see what. He didn't understand it. He just knew that I'm just going to keep serving the Lord. And he did. He worked for Potiphar's unto the Lord. And he was advanced and became the head slave. But Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He wouldn't be seduced. Finally, she just tried to grab him by force. And he let go of his jacket and he fled. Potiphar comes home and of course she's so angry, she just says, right here. He just threw me down in my own bed and he raped me right here. Potiphar just, oh. He goes to court. I'm innocent, man. The gavel strikes. Guilty as charged. You're a rapist. Not just a thief. Not just an embezzler, but all of the nuances that go with being a rapist. Now he's in prison as a man who defiled his master's wife. But again, his heart wasn't, oh, if God, there really was a God, you know, He wouldn't allow this kind of thing to happen. And, you know, He'd be more powerful than this. I'll try out some of the gods of Egypt to see if they'll work better than this God of Israel, you know. And he never had that. His heart was just, man, <laughs> things just seem to be going from bad to worse over these few years, you know. He didn't have any Eastern weirdism. You know, in my prior life, you know, I was a buzzard and I ate too many dead carcasses and now my next life. Or He didn't have some weird concept of the yin and the yang or the karma, the good karma and the bad karma. He just knew in his heart, God, God does. I don't know what he's doing. But I know he's got a plan even in this. And he just worked as unto the Lord in the prison. The best of attitude was the best of prisoners until he was over all the prisoners. Now you remember the story. That while he was in that prison, Pharaoh had some dreams that just, oh, just bothered him. It turned out that Joseph had the interpretation for those dreams. And he went to Pharaoh and he gave him the interpretation there'd be seven years of good and then seven years of worldwide famine. Store up. Get ready for the seven years of famine. And, and he's, Pharaoh said, who's better than you? I'll put you next to me. You're in charge of all of Egypt. Wow. From prison to praise. From the dungeon up to reigning second in command of Pharaoh. Well, during the famine, his brothers come down for food. And there, there coming down and it's, he recognized them but he they don't recognize him he's grown much older and of course all that Egyptian makeup and hairstyle and, and all they didn't recognize him and he pretended he didn't understand Hebrew he pretended he didn't know what was going on and he began to mess with them and he said now if you guys ever come back I think you're spies I think you're trying to take us over <laughs> 70 of them are going to take over Egypt you know no, we're not spies on a wall. 
Did everybody come? Trying to find out. What about your dad? Oh, our Father Jacob, he's fine at home. And oh, Joseph's heart was grateful. Any other brothers or anything? Oh, yeah, we have one other brother. Well, bring him back next time or no food. And there in Genesis chapter 42, they, they finally tell Jacob, Hey, Dad, we know we're running out of food, but we can't go back out without Benjamin. And there Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin away? And there he says in chapter 42, verse 36 of Genesis, he says, All these things are against me. <laughs> Jacob is there saying, Oh man, everything is against me. All of life is against me. Are you feeling that way tonight? At work, everything's against me. Maybe at home, everything's against me. And your health or your finances... In your relationships, man, just everything is against me. I can't, every word that comes out of my mouth is absolute worst word. Everything I do is absolute worst thing I could do. And Jacob had no idea that God was getting ready to unite him with his lost son. Getting ready to save all of them during this seven years of famine. The famine had barely begun. There was seven years left. And he's thinking, oh man, everything couldn't be worse. When everything was getting ready to get a whole lot better. And finally, Jacob said, man, this is, this is it. If Benjamin doesn't come back, I'm going to die. And they get down there and Joseph's playing around and with his brothers again and he, and he puts his cup in Benjamin's sack. And they're heading on home and he sends his soldiers after him and somebody stole Joseph's cup. You know, he lets you eat with him and then you guys steal his enchantment cup. The, camp, the, the cup that he did his enchantments with is what they were joking around with and whoever does that that person's going to die and they open it up and it was in Benjamin's sack and they bring them all back and and there the brothers just start pleading saying oh man you don't understand we lost this one son of my dad and my favorite son and and my dad he's just he, he said if this son doesn't come back he's going to die and Joseph just broke down and started weeping and revealed himself to him and they brought everybody down. Jacob and everybody came down to Egypt, as you remember. But then as years went by, Jacob died. And the brothers come there in Genesis 50. And they say, oh, now that dad's dead, you're going to take your vengeance on us for what we did to you. And Joseph begins to weep. He says, I'm not God that I can judge. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To keep us alive to this day. Wow. Joseph saw 70 years earlier or so. Maybe 50 years. I don't know. I didn't add it up. But years earlier, decades earlier, God began to plot, to plan, to bless them. And of course, if you back it up, really, it's a prophecy back when Abraham, before Abraham had any kids, there the Lord showed him, yes, you're going to have kids. And he made a covenant with the Lord. And there he fell into a deep sleep. And he had this horrible nightmare that his kids would be taken captivity for 400 years. And he woke up and, and the Lord made it clear. 
you, your kids are going to be in captivity for 400 years until the Amorites' iniquity is fulfilled. The Amorite people had not yet completed their wickedness where God could totally annihilate them. And so God had them down there in that pocket in Egypt. But yet God had prophesied that hundreds of years before that time had ever come about with Joseph. Does God have everything in control or what? Turn over to Isaiah chapter 46, starting in verse 9. A verse you want to memorize and remember this verse. Isaiah 46. There in verse 8. Remember this and show yourself men. And I say that to you tonight if you're getting weak in faith. Remember this and show yourself to be men. Be strong in others. Be courageous. Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. Listen to that. Declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, and the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I also will do it. I love that. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. Remember there with Job, how he had such a confidence that God was going to work all this out for good somehow. And there as the men were accusing him of all kinds of evils. And finally there in the last chapter of Job, Job finally, after he hears of the wonders of God, he says, I have learned a day. There, turn over to Job, I think it's chapter 41. 42, there in verse 2, and Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I love that. That no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I have questioned you, and you will shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, and now my eye sees you, where he described creation, and he saw God within creation. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Skip down to verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. We, as believers, are never going to lose. Whatever comes our way, God has a reason, God has a plan, God has a purpose, and we never want to get down and bummed and mummer, mum, murmur and complain and mumble and whatever else, all those other words, We don't want to do that. 
We want to have a heart that realizes in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus' concern of you. Praise the Lord. God has a reason for everything. God knows. We don't understand. We don't know the end from the beginning. We can't understand all things. God's ways are too high for us. We just know right now. It doesn't say we see. It doesn't say we feel. It doesn't say we can touch it. It doesn't say we can hear it. It just says we know. The word know is gnosko, by experience. Knowledge with experience. There's a word where we can just know things in our head. That's not it. It's know things in our heart, in our mind, in our experience. At the moment we're going through it, there's a reason for it. Remember the Apostle Paul. He wants now to go preach all through Asia. He gets his missionary team together. He gets Timothy and he gets Luke, starting there in Acts chapter 16. And, and he's got all these guys with him and he's got Silas and they're heading through Asia. And God says, no. The Holy Spirit says, you can't preach here. You can't preach here. You can't preach here. He kept walking through Asia, which would have taken months. Walking by thousands of people who did not know Christ. He finally dead ends there in Troas at the ocean. He can't go any farther. And there he just hands up. Why? I don't know. God said, no, 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 no. He hits the ocean. And then the Lord speaks to him in a dream. There was a man of Macedonia saying, Paul, come over here. Come over here. And where was he at? Right there at the channel that crossed over, over into Macedonia. He got on a boat, went right across to the other side. He was already there. And of course, when he gets there, it's a woman, because if a woman was saying, come over here, he would have thought it wasn't from the Lord. But, but it was a guy, but it ended up being a woman when he got there. He preaches to him, and then he goes right down to Philippi. They grab him, they beat him with rods, and he's thrown into prison. Why? He has no idea. Him and Silas are black and blue and hurting and aching. They're down in the dungeon. And they're just, I know that God works all things together for good. To those who love Him, are called according to His purpose. They just break out and start praising the Lord. Start worshiping God. And of course, the whole place begins to shake with an earthquake. And all the doors are opened up. And there he looks outside and the jailer's getting ready to kill himself. And he says, do yourself no harm. Everybody's still here in the prison. And he goes over and shares the Lord with the man and he gets saved. There his whole household ended up getting saved and Paul had the pleasure of baptizing them and it was just awesome. And then of course they came to get Paul out of prison. He says, hey, you beat a Roman. They're, oh, a Roman. Oh no, we're in trouble. You know, I'll lose my post and I'll get in trouble for beating a Roman. And, and he said, come on out. And Paul said, I'll come out when I'm ready to come out. And they rolled out the red carpet after that for him. But then, Paul felt compelled to go down to Jerusalem later on in his missionary journey. He felt really compelled to go down to Jerusalem. And there, there were prophets. Agapus and Philip's four daughters were all prophetesses. And prophets, they prophesied saying, Paul, if you go this way, imprisonment, uh, beatings, possibly death is going to await you. And Paul said, I've got to go. This is where the Lord's leading me. They begged him not to go. He got down there and men started lying, saying that he had taken some Gentiles into the temple when he hadn't. They started beating him. The Romans grabbed him, put him in prison. 
And Paul was in prison for two years there between uh, Jerusalem and Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea. He was in prison there for two years, just waiting. One guy talking to him. Nobody could figure out what to do. The church now bad-mouthing him. All those throughout Asia forsook him. All of the churches he started everywhere, everybody was denouncing Paul. That gospel of grace is too radical. God's put him on the shelf, you know. Even his own son Timothy was denying that he was a son in the faith of Paul because he was ashamed of him. Men who stood by Paul were now not even acknowledging Paul. Totally forsaken. But God, he knew that he was where he was supposed to be. And so Paul, out of the burden of his heart, start writing to the church of Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica. And he stayed in prison until he finished writing the New Testament for us. Paul was saying, why, why, why? So many years. And we're here going, thank you, Lord, for keeping Paul still long enough to write these letters. Paul, with all his energy, just would have run right down to Philippi and we never would have had that wonderful letter. But there, finally, he just says, I appeal to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, everybody could go stand before Caesar. The only catch was is you had to stay in prison until you saw, so until you saw um, Nero or uh, the emperor of Rome. Until you saw him, you had to stay in prison. And uh, it was really a dumb move. But Paul appealed to Caesar, and, and to Caesar you should go. How did the church look at it? The church looked at it going, there's Paul throwing his weight around again. Mr. Prideful, you know, always thinking he knows best. And here he stuck his foot in his mouth big time this time. He's having to get stuck. And they put him on a boat to take him to Rome. And, and there is a horrible storm. And Paul says, you know what? The Lord's speaking to me. Don't set sail. Just wait till the winter's over. And who is Paul to listen? They set sail. And there as it begins to fall apart, the ship begins to break apart out in the middle of the ocean. If you look on a map, it's amazing. They crashed on this one little spot out in the middle of the ocean. A little island by the name of Malta. And there they're all waterlogged but all alive on that island. What? Why would God allow this? But Paul knows. All things work together for good. To those who love God, according to those who are called according to His purpose. And Paul, being the servant he was, began to gather sticks up and began to make a fire for all the wet bodies. And this incredible poisonous snake leaped out of the sticks, grabbed onto Paul's arm. Ah! He shakes the thing off into the fire. Now the people of the island thought, oh, one way we know who's evil is these snakes bite them. <laughs> and once you're bit by the snake, we know that you've done some dastardly deed. Truly, this man is a prisoner for a reason, and the gods have sent to, to go ahead and strike him dead. But Paul just kept eating his s'mores and drinking his hot chocolate. And, <laughs> and it didn't affect him at all. And then all of a sudden, these islanders begin to go, whoa, how can he stay? He must be a god. And, and Paul said, no nonsense. And he began to preach to them. And they said, please come and pray for the chief of the island. He had dysentery and he was dying. And Paul went and laid hands on him and he was immediately healed. And the whole island of Malta became born-again believers. Wow. You ready to get crashed in a ship? I'm, hey, I'm all for it. Especially if it's Hawaii. 
<laughs> you know, it crash, you know, leave. It sounds great. God knows. We don't know, and often we don't see why God allowed what He allowed to happen. But we know that God will work all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Now, many of us have made some major blunders in our lives. Some serious wrong choices. Some bad sins. Some horrible mistakes. And we're going, man, I wish I could go back and erase the past. I wish I, you know, I remember so clearly at 14, oh, I gave my life to the Lord and then I just wandered away from God until I was 35 and my marriage was ruined and my kids were on drugs and, and now I'm back walking with the Lord. But, man, I would, you know, God right now will take all of the broken pieces of your life and He will turn them all around for good to those who love Him are called called according to His purpose. Whatever mistakes, whatever sins, whatever the past, God has forgiven it. He has chosen to remember it no more. But more than that, He'll take those scars of your life and use those scars to heal somebody else. Now, we don't want to sin that grace may abound. That would be foolishness. And to say, well, you know, I'm just going to haphazardly live and God's going to turn it all around for good i got a verse for you who want to think that way. Turn over to Deuteronomy. There in chapter 29. There in verse 20, 18. Deuteronomy 29 verse 18. So that there may not be among you a man or a woman or a family or a tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations and that there may be not be among you a root-bearing bitterness or wormwood, which is a poisonous substance. So if you're going to take the Word of God and pervert it by saying, all right, you know, I can just go sin and God's going to turn around for good, it's going to backfire on you in a big way. Look in verse 19, And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his own heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I walk in the imagination of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. The Lord would not spare him for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him and the Lord will, would blot out his name from under heaven. So if you have such a flippancy towards such verses that are all conclusive, we know that all things work together for good. And you there have a flippancy in your heart saying, well, since God knows the end from the beginning, He knows what I'm getting ready to do right now. Ah, I'm going to go sin, you know. No, that's perversion. And we're going to find out as we continue chapter 8 and go into verse, chapter 9 that you cannot use the foreknowledge of God in your own little manipulation game of God. It won't work. But if you have a pure heart tonight in seeking God, you have a true heart to want God to be your Lord and Savior. And you're really trying to live a life for Him. But you keep messing up. You keep stumbling and struggling. You keep falling in areas that you wish you didn't fall. And you keep displaying weaknesses in areas that you wish you had strength. You don't need to be afraid. 
you can rest your head on this beautiful pillow of verse 28 and know that God is at work with you. He's at work in you. He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. And whatever blunders of the past, whatever failures of the present, whatever future pitch you may fall in, God is going to be there to grab a hold of you. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, and though he may fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord himself will hold him up with his hand. And so we see that wonderful verse. We know. We don't see it. We don't always experience it. But ultimately, when we get to heaven, we're going to see why all these certain trials and tribulations came our way and how they did work for good. Sometimes we can see it. But all things work together. Separately by themselves, they would be poisonous. But together, coupled with God's plan and purposes, they're incredible salt, beautiful, wonderful for us to work with and use for good. It's going to be turned out for your good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. For many people here, Lord, have experienced some horrible things in their life. And I know in the future there's yet difficulties to come upon every one of us through many trials and tribulations we will go through before we enter the kingdom of God, you said. We know that's to be true. And Lord, tonight we know there's some definitely presently struggling in their own personal lives in a way that maybe nobody else knows. They're lonely. They're hurting. They're struggling. They're wondering why you haven't sent the Calvary already with the blasting of the trumpet delivering them why they're being under such attack. But Lord, we know that you know. We don't know, but we know that you know. And we know that it's not a random coincidence of difficulty, but it's a very strategically planned, purposeful event for us who know you. It's not going to destroy us. It's not going to overcome us. It's not going to hurt us or injure us in any way, but it's going to be turned around for good. Whatever cut may be opened up by the hurt, we know that there's going to be something exposed in the depths of our skin that needed to be exposed, and that's why that wound was there. We know if difficulties come against us, it's because during that trial, there's something you need to reveal out of our hearts that needed to come out of that to set us aright, straight, definite with you. Lord, take our hearts, take our lives right now. If you're here tonight and you're not certain if you were to die tonight, you'd be with the Lord. You're not certain that you're born again. Right now, cry out to God. If you have a complete surrendered life, say to him now, dear God, come into my life. Be the Lord of all of my life. I want to... Read your word and obey it. Give me your strength. Give me your understanding to know your word, to understand your word and to do it. I give you my all. There's been some of you here tonight who've been beaten with rods and thrown in the prison and you're doubting the Lord and complaining and murmuring rather than praising Him. The Bible says that's a sin. This is the will of God that in everything you'd give thanks. To rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Not to murmur, not to complain. You've sinned 
by not believing in a sovereign God who works all things together for good and you think that you're like the world around us who bad things happen and that's bad luck or good luck or this kind of nonsensical thinking. You didn't realize there's a sovereign God who knows every hair on your head, knows every piece of sand that turns, knows every sparrow that falls to the ground, that God knows everything that's going on in your life and there's a purpose for it. Ask, it for, ask Him for forgiveness, for complaining, and ask Him to give you grace to be able to rejoice in the most simple, the most minute, the most difficult things, the most annoying things. <laughs> that God would give you His grace. Lord, save tonight by the power of Your Spirit. Call men unto Yourselves to begin true, truly to be followers of You. And Lord, encourage every heart here tonight to believe in a sovereign God. Every time we bump our toe, you've got a reason for it. We run out of gas or got a flat tire, there's a reason for it. Health, unhealthy, rich, poor, single, married, with kids, without kids, old, young, in every instance, in every second, in every angle of this life, you've got it covered. You're going to turn all things around for good. And we thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Before you leave tonight, tell somebody, God's working all things together for good for you.